Well, thank you, Joe. We sat on a committee annually for, I don't know, 20 years with Chuck. And somehow I started sitting by Joe, and, and uh, I knew what a wonderful Bible teacher he was and everything, but he would kind of hide, you know. And so when they would come up and about who was going to speak at what, and I'd say, oh, Joe will do that. He'd look over at me, and he'd glare at me, and I'd say, oh, Joe, that's a good session for Joe. And and he really he really became a little hostile, but God God got over it, and and he blessed us all. And it was just a privilege to be here with you and uh, with uh, the family. And I was a little confused when he called me uh, to fill in here. He said that I would anchor the conference, and I thought, well, does he want me to sink it or what? You know, I don't know what. <laughs> But, you know, we've had such a great time spiritually, nobody could sink it. The Holy Spirit's been working, and wonderful messages have gone forth, and the power of God. And so I'm not worried about sinking the conference. God's already taken care of it. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your love and your kindness, your protection, your care for us. And we're so conscious, Lord, of how inadequate we are to represent you and to find the right direction and path to lead our own lives and our congregations. And so we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who you said would guide us into truth. The Holy Spirit who would come in your behalf and would be in constant communication and contact with you, the Spirit of truth. And he wouldn't talk about himself, but he'd talk about Jesus. And he would lead us. He would guide us. He would direct us. And he would provide the strength, the power, the ability to accomplish any task that you have ordained for us to accomplish. I pray, Lord, that we'll never reach the point that we're like that one church when Paul went there and said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believe? They said, we haven't even heard whether there was a Holy Spirit, though Apollos had given them great teaching. We pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon our lives, upon our movement, upon our nation, upon the world that the power of God might be manifested, that miracles and signs and wonders might be done in the name of the Holy Child, Jesus Christ, that the Word would come to life by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, for the Word without the Spirit is dead, but the Word with the Spirit is alive. And I pray, God, that you will take all of us deeper into our walk with the Holy Spirit, that He may speak to us, that He may guide us, that He may direct us, that He may use us to bring the lives and souls of men and women to Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. John the Baptist was uh, out in the wilderness preaching. He really had a powerful ministry because if you could draw the crowds he did way out there in that empty wilderness to a little old kind of, it's not a really beautiful, pristine river, if you've ever seen the river that he was baptizing people in. And yet God was musing him, and now Jesus comes. And John makes this statement in, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. I indeed baptize you in water under repentance. But he that comes after me will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. He has a different baptism, a spirit baptism, a baptism that will empower, that will uplift. And so as Jesus came, he came and John saw him, and John didn't want to baptize him. I'm, I'm not worthy to baptize you. Jesus now, come on, John. I, I don't know the exact Greek translation, but anyway, come on, John. It's necessary that the Scripture be fulfilled. So you get that leather thing off and you get into the water and you baptize me as the scripture have said. And that's not a perfect translation of what he said, but that's kind of what it was all about. And when he came out of the water, baptized in the Holy Spirit in his human body, 
God in the flesh. A dove descended upon him. Spirit of God descended on him in the form of a dove and settled upon him. And the ministry of Jesus Christ was a ministry that was directed by the Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and set as an example for us. You look at the lives of the disciples. They went through great trials and persecution and challenges when he was still teaching. But when the time came that he had to go to the cross, they began to lose faith because their vision of God's will and purpose was different than his, than God's will. They saw themselves as coming and setting up the kingdom of God right there at the time in their lives. And and actually, they were a little fussy about which one was going to have the right sitting at the right seat of God and which one wasn't. And they had their personal ambitions and they were looking up, you know, here and there to see what, what position or what role or what office or what title that they might have. So when Christ was crucified, they all forsook him. They all ran away. Peter, who made the greatest statements and the boldest statements and said, you know, Lord, all these other guys might mess up and leave you, but you can trust me. I'm going to hang in here. I am one tough dude. I'm the toughest fisherman on the the lake, and I'm going to stand with you. And so Peter ends up and says, Lord, he's standing kind of afar off. He's a little fire there. It's cool and this little woman, girl comes up and she says, you're, you're one of them. And he said, I am not. The scripture said then he actually cursed. She asked again, I'm not. And he said it the third time and Jesus had already prepared him and before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times and the rooster crows and Peter went away sorrowful and he didn't show up for a long time. He wasn't even the first one to the tomb after the, after the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God had to have a young woman come and tell the fact that what had happened. What had happened? You see, Jesus recognized that when he was gone, he kept telling us over and over again, when I go away, I'll send another comforter that he may be with you even to the end of the age. And and I'm, I'm going to use you. I'm going to empower you. And you're going to carry the ministry on. But they turned away and they ran away. And God did a wonderful work. And now something else happened. Jesus, in his last teachings to them, said to them, he said, I don't even want you to begin your ministry until you go to Jerusalem and you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Scripture says in John 20 that Jesus breathed on them early in the ministry and said, receive the Spirit. So there was another dimension that God was wanting them to experience. Not just breathing the Spirit, which everyone receives at conversion. But there is the gift of the empowerment of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the word baptism comes from the Greek word that sozo, which means it's the word that is used when ships have been sunk, wooden ships were sunken for years, and you go down and bring them up. They are so saturated, every pore of the, of the wood is saturated until it just falls apart. He said, I want to come and take residence in your life and begin to give you wisdom and guidance and direction. And he said, it won't be, and it's going to stay with you, and you need to live and walk in the Spirit and in the power of the Spirit and be available to be used by the gifts of the Spirit every day until I call you into my presence. And whatever else we do, we must teach the Word. But the Word tells us that it is not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of God that God will accomplish all these things that He's promised us in the word and go through the Bible when they begin to make decisions on who should be in leadership they prayed the Holy Spirit would say separate this person for the job separate that person for the job when they began to say which ones would be leaders of the church they prayed and they sought God and God's direction and all of those things and every everything that they that he did God used them by the Spirit and so Jesus said don't even really get out there and start your ministry at post post ascension don't go out and start it until you go to Jerusalem and you get some time together 
together. And so 120 men, women, and children went into an upper room, and they began to wait upon God to pour out his spirit upon them. And the scripture said, and while they were sitting there, suddenly the place where they were was shaken, and suddenly this sound awakened them, and, and this had this incredible movement, and suddenly this spiritual wind began to blow, and then suddenly uh, tongues like a fire settled upon them, and this is what happened. The wind awakened them, the, the, sound, the sound awakened them to the presence of God. The wind began to move them, and they began to speak in languages that they didn't know, and suddenly they got out of the upper room, and they went out among the people, and they began to preach the wonderful resurrection of Jesus Christ to people from Jewish people that had come from all over the world. They spoke many languages, and they recognized these were local people, but they were fluent in their language, and they began to preach and teach the wonderful work of God, and people began by the hundreds and then the thousands and ultimately by the millions to turn their lives over to Jesus Christ, and it is not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. I don't say this as to be anything but an encouragement to all of us. It has been an unprecedented, challenging time. I'm thankful for the few churches that have experienced growth during this pandemic. Most of them have not. I talked to a lot of you and here in the conference, and now that even when the church is open, it's down from a third to a half. I expected during this pandemic to be a great spiritual awakening in the country, to have multitudes of people turning to the Lord. But the tragedy is, some who were weak in their faith and weak in their relationship with God got out of the habit of going to church, not going there because they longed to be in the presence of God and grow in the knowledge of the Lord and be used in the power of the Holy Spirit to bring the name of Jesus Christ. But the Scripture said, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves to, uh, uh, together as the habit of some is. And I spoke the other Sunday, on, we're on television, like all of you are on television, we're on Zoom. You know, the, the cursed Zoom, Zoom, and uh, all of that kind of stuff. We're on so many platforms, and you find out that you look at it and actually go study the, the actual facts is, is that during this pandemic, as it has continued, fewer and fewer people are watching your per sermons. Fewer and fewer people are turning them on, or if they do, they just glance at them and they go on to the next thing, and they've gotten into a bad habit of not forgetting to be there, have, uh, maintain their relationship with God. Brethren, we desperately need a fresh pouring of the Holy Spirit to convince people of sin and of righteousness and of the judgment to come. Oh Lord, send your spirit and let it start in me. Let it start in me. A man that I have such great love for has been a friend is Joe and then Damien Kyle. There's others. Don McClure. But when Joe called me and I, I hadn't, you know, I, I wasn't originally scheduled to be here. And I said, Damien, this is what's on my heart. And I, I laid out what God wanted me through my inept way to communicate. I said, I don't want to constantly look back. Old people look back. You know? When I play golf, it's a mixed blessing. I have to use the driver to hit it as far as I used to with my nine iron. Standing too close to the ball after I hit it. And I think about all of the things I did, you know, back, oh, man, I could put it out there, 280, 300. I could see it par. Oh, my goodness, I thought all of these things. And finally, Mary looked at me, and she said, Lewis, you either start enjoying golf the way you are, or you quit doing it. <laughs> In so it's kind of certain words. I'm not going to tell you the whole story. But anyway, uh, and you know what? I went out, and I started enjoying my bad game. All, I, all you have to do to enjoy it when you get older is just lower your standards. 
But when it comes to God, you can't lower your standards. You have to raise your standards. If you used to pray every day, pray more every day. If you used to witness every day, witness more every day. And I began to tell, tell people, you need to tell people about Jesus. That's our mission. That's our calling. And you need the power of the Holy Spirit when you talk to them to convince them of sin, to convince them of righteousness, convince them of the judgment to come, and tell them how much God loves them. I was reading in John, and I was going over Scripture that I'd been through countless, I can't even remember how many times. And I'm looking at Jesus praying for the human race. And he said something that you've all heard, and you've all discovered this, but it was a new discovery for me. He said, Father, you have loved them as you love me. He was talking about every human being, every living soul, and it suddenly hit me. God loves me as much as he does Jesus. You've loved them as you love me. And I've shared that with scores of people in the last several months since I had that thing come into my heart. I was on a little vacation, and suddenly I went up and I played golf with this young man. And finally, uh, he started talking to me, and, and we visited. And, and suddenly, I, I said, well, how are you doing? You have a family? Yeah, he said, but I'm, I'm afraid for my family. He said, I have a three-year-old daughter, and we're about to have another baby here in about three months. And he says, I don't know the kind of world we're living in. He was attending Cal Poly over there on the, the coast. I'm worried about them. I'm worried about the world they live in. Not a Christian. And I said to him, I've got good news for you. I said, God loves you. And then I gave him the John 17, 23, and I said, here's how much he loves you. He loves you as much as he loves Jesus, and he loves your baby, and he loves your wife, and your one baby you have, and the one that's on the way, as much as he loved Jesus. And if you look to him, you'll have peace, and you won't be afraid of the future, because God will be there with you. And big tears came to this strong young man's eyes, and we had a little prayer. The Holy Spirit had prepared him for that moment. And the Holy Spirit prepared me to speak at that moment. And so the power of the Holy Spirit is what God, we just so desperately need. I'm talking to Damien Kyle. I just I have so much respect and love for that man. And I told him what the burden that God had on my heart to share with you today and I said, I feel like I'd like to talk about some of the things that happened in the past. But I don't want people to think I'm, you know, that I'm, that I'm old. You know, I think you probably have a clue. But anyway, yeah, you know, when you've got, a, when you've got an 80-pound little checkout girl saying, Sir, may I carry your bag to the grocery store to your car? You know, it's one bag. And anyway, and so I looked at her, and I finally, I really sinned. I said, look, I said, I appreciate it, but I could pick you up on one arm and carry the bag with the other. But anyway, that was not a smart thing to do. It was a terrible thing to do. And then I decided, you know, I've got, I've got a big dog that eats about 50 pounds of food a week, you know. Uh, not that much, but it seems like it. And I've always been proud. I didn't think I was proud, but I'd go and I'd buy two bags of dog food at the same time. They only weigh 40 pounds. I'd put one under one arm, one under the other arm. But, you know, suddenly I realized that I'm not only I can carry out one bag at a time easier than I can carry 80 pounds. I can carry 40 pounds easier. And all of those things. But it doesn't have anything to do with spiritual life. The power of the Holy Spirit works through our spirit. The power of God works through our feeble frames, whether we have, have big muscles or soft muscles. I've developed soft muscles over the years. Uh, those you have hard muscles. I feel sorry for you. You don't get as much comfort as you sit back in a seat. You have that little cushion, you know. You got a little cushion there to sit on. And, you know, it's fine. You know, you don't, you don't bruise anything, you know. Uh, just, you know, you don't have all those problems. And you don't have to, you know, you just don't mess with all those muscles anymore. But the fact of the matter is, the power of God has, I don't, you know, I read the scripture, it doesn't seem historically that Paul was a big guy that looked a whole lot 
like our former speaker up here. Seems like he was a little guy, weak and weak, but powerful in God, but mighty in God. And I was talking to Damien. I said, Damien, I don't want to start looking past in the past. But he said, you know, Lewis, he said, you should talk to them about the past. And I was reluctant to do it. So yesterday I was having a great time of fellowship with Josh Foch. We were just sitting there talking. He said, I just finished a study of the Old Testament. And he said, all through the Old Testament, it was saying, look back and remember what God did. Look back and remember how God blessed. Look back and remember those things and gain strength from them. And I thought, Lord, if you burdened me and you've given me confirmation through, through Damien, and now I've got confirmation through Josh, if I have it with Josh, I'm fine. I'm going to go for it because I have confidence in his relationship with God and Damien's. And so I'm going to talk to you about some things that the Holy Spirit did in my life and is continuing to do in my life. I'm going back to the sixth grade in Casper, Wyoming. My dad was called to start a church there. We finally reached the point where we didn't have any food. And he and my mom were praying, and I heard them praying for food. And boy, I'll tell you what, I prayed too, even though I didn't have much faith. The last thing I wanted to do was be without food. My dad said to me, son, he said, God spoke to me. I want you to come with me. You're going to see God do something. We went to the Casper Commissary. The old supermarket there. And my dad began to take everything we needed, and he filled one big basket to the full. And I thought, I honestly thought, my father is going to jail, and they're going to take me too because he's going to steal this food. Because I'd heard my parents praying, saying we have not even $5 left, and I know this is expensive. And I was really nervous, and I was really afraid. And we just stood there, and my dad wheeled the basket around after it was filled, and nothing happened. But God told him to go fill the basket and that he would pay for it. And after going there and kind of I was getting embarrassed and kind of went away from my dad so they wouldn't know we were related. And, and I really was because I thought, you know, this is going to be embarrassing. You know, he has to put all of this back. And, and suddenly this man walks in and he said, my name is Brother Young. And he said, we've been praying for a Pentecostal church to come to Casper for years. And we were praying this morning, and God said, go down to the Casper Commissary store, and you're going to see a man with his basket full. And God said, you go pay for his groceries because I've sent you the pastor that you've been praying for all these years, and that church still exists right now to this day. And I never forgot it, even though I was a little kid. God will take care of you. He will supply your needs no matter what the devil tells you, no matter what the world tells you. You keep praying. You keep believing. And if you don't have enough to eat, God will send some food for you to digest. Going forward a few years, well, not many, one year, I was in, you know, fifth, sixth grade or something in there. I can't remember. Because I was in those grades for so long, it's hard to remember when I started. <laughs> and I admired this young guy named Bobby Pogue. He had muscles, and he was two or three years older than I was, and I just thought, oh, Bobby Pogue, he's, a, he's such an adventurer. He's such a man, you know. And so on Sunday, he asked my, my parents if the following Sunday that I could go home with them and out there on their little, uh, their little, their little acreage there on the Platte River. And, and my mom said, yes, that'd be fine. Sunday morning, I was all excited. I had everything ready to go right after church. I could hardly wait to go out and hang out with Bobby Pogue. 
It's getting ready to go, and my mother said, the Holy Spirit, sorry, Lewis, you can't go. I said, what? You promised me. Have you no integrity? You know, I didn't say that. You're such a woman of your word. Have you backslidden overnight or something? And here I'm all this fun planned, and I can't go. And God's, my mother said to me, she said, Lord, she said, the Lord told me you're not to go today. And my parents were not those that put up with a whole lot of discussion. They actually thought they were the parents, not just a big child. That afternoon, Bobby Pogue had put together a raft that his parents didn't know about. He'd taken some logs and tied them together. They were in a pond, and the pond went into the Platte River, and somehow the current took them into the Platte River. The raft fell apart, and Bobby Pogue drowned. And the other little boy with him barely got out of the water. That's what my mother was in touch with the Holy Spirit. And so many times in my life, God spoke to her, and I knew it was God because she was a no-nonsense woman. And I knew her life, and I knew her walk. I fell madly in love. Was really dumbly in love. I was preaching the gospel, and my mother writes me a letter, and she said, God does not want you to marry the girl that you're wanting to, that you're engaged to. It is not in the will of God. And I thought, well, I'm a grown man now. I'm 18 years old. I've been out of high school for two years. I don't need my mother to tell me who God wants me to have in my life. Besides that, she's really good looking. And her father, you know, is very prosperous. And she, he could be a blessing to my ministry and, and all of this kind of stuff. And, I, and suddenly the Lord spoke to my heart and reminded me. He said, Forget not the, forsake not the law of your mother. Ooh. It's in the Bible. Finally, for her sake and mine, we ended the engagement. God has a funny way of doing things. Mary got engaged to a businessman. She never wanted to be in the ministry. She was raised in the parsonage. And God spoke to her, and she ended her engagement. And then we met, and we knew that it was God's will. And so after a lengthy courtship of two dates, we got married. (laughs) Wrote a lot of letters in between. And it's been going on for a long time. And it just gets better. You see, the Holy Spirit can speak and give the gift of knowledge, the word of knowledge. The Holy Spirit can speak to somebody's heart, and he can give them the gift of faith, trusting in God. God spoke to our hearts and said, go to East Africa. So Mary and I planned, went for a year, and the churches over there in Tanzania were preparing for it, and the Bible school students were, were, were ready to go and take over the churches that we believed would be raised up through the uh, crusades that were going to take place, and all of the prayer went to it. Evangelism overseas without having a foundation and a church and a, a body of believers to commit the, the converts to it doesn't have much fruit. So all of this is ready. We've been married for several years, a long time. And suddenly we discover that Mary is expecting. And she said, I, I, I hesitate to tell you this, but we're going to have a baby. And I said, are you sure we're supposed to go to Africa? Well, when she was six weeks old... Mary, by faith, took this child in her arms, not Africa like it is now. And we put her on a plane, and she had faith, but she cried all the way to Hong Kong. And Julissa spent her first year and a half in East Africa. 
and God raised up churches, and God did miraculous things, and she was fine, and she never had a single day of sickness until she got to New York. And forgive me, that's not unusual to get sick in New York. But she did something else that I'll never forget. She was just, uh, what, I don't know, 18, 20 months or something, very, but she talked a lot. And, and uh, we were sitting there waiting for the plane to take us on and looked over. All of a sudden, she saw this African-American man, and she ran over, and she jumped on his lap, and she patted his cheek, and she says, my people. He like, almost fainted. <laughs> but we had a great time talking to him. Do you know what I learned from that? We have to teach people to be racists. She wasn't around white people in the early stages of her life, other than her parents. I saw that. And the Holy Spirit used that. We went to a town on the shores of Lake Victoria. We had a big yellow and, and, and red tent that we brought with us and set it up. We're having trouble getting people to come. But we both knew the Holy Spirit sent us there. The African pastors that would take up the work when the crusade was over, the meeting was over, God would do it. And we found out that there had been threats against people to come. And we got into the tent one night. And as we started the service, there were a very small group of people there in this big tent. And suddenly we looked up, and there was a string of torches coming down the road. And there were men with robes that came with, with torches in one hand. Some had machetes in the other. And they marched, and they completely had a circle around the tent. And I don't know what God did, but something happened. And they began to drop their torches. And some of the men came in and gave their lives to Christ and revived. Bible broke out and churches were born by the power of the Holy Spirit revealing the person of Jesus Christ is more powerful than all the demons and devils in hell and God can transform anything. Let's move forward again now to 18 years later. I'm sitting over in my office at the, at the warehouse in Sacramento. The receptionist comes in and she says, Lewis, there's a man here that says he has to see you, that you're his spiritual father. And I said, oh, yeah, sure, I'll be right out. When I got out, this big, handsome African-American man threw his arms around me and began to sob. And he said, oh, my spiritual father. And I thought, I didn't know I was your dad. <laughs> but I thought, what is this? It turns out that he was one of the men who came from a distant village, for, went for miles following a light, and he came to the tent, and he gave his heart to Jesus, and he went to the Bible school, and he learned it. And now he not only had a congregation, we had 17 other churches, and the way he found me was a miracle. I said, how did you find me? He said, I was invited to a missions conference in Kansas City, Missouri, and I kept asking people there, do you know my spiritual father, Lewis Neely? And he said, it didn't seem like anybody in Kansas City knew my spiritual father. And he said, suddenly a man said, I, I know who he is. He said, I, I think he's in a, a warehouse out there in the edge of Sacramento. And, and he said, okay. By faith, he got on a bus. He ended up at the Greyhound bus stop in, the ta in about two miles from the church. Ended up walking across over there over the free, to the freeway. Went into the restaurant and started asking people, do you know my spiritual father? And the waitress said, who is it? Lewis Neely. That's my pastor. And she brought him over. And we had fellowship. And the work of God continued. You see, the Holy Spirit, if he leads you, he'll give you the power to accomplish what he sent you there to do. Man, believe God. Trust God. Let the gifts of the Spirit, the gifts of healing, the gifts of faith, all of these tools are available to us if we'll continue to walk and live in the Holy Spirit. How long has it been since you had an afterglow? How long has it been? Probably not at all long at all until you had a prayer meeting. I'm looking at the apostles' lives. They had this great experience at Pentecost. It wasn't long till persecution rolled in. Suddenly, persecution, they're told not to speak in the name of Jesus. They were getting ready to be put in jail over and over again. Now the scripture says, now, Lord, behold their threatenings. And grant unto thy servants that with great power we might bring and proclaim the name of your son, your holy child, Jesus. 
And he said, when they prayed, when they began to pray, the Holy Spirit fell upon them and they were filled again with the Holy Spirit. They had just been baptized very recently and now they were filled again and every challenge that they met, whether it was choosing a leader, whether it was fighting against the powers of darkness, whether it was fighting against the, uh, the rulers in high places, they always had prayer meetings and after they had prayed, the Holy Spirit would come and they would be renewed in the Holy Spirit and that's what the Bible says. It talks about the loving care and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ who mercifully came and washed us and renewed us in the Holy Spirit. You need to be constantly renewed in the Spirit. And I encourage you to pray in the Spirit. You say sometimes, why? Because the Scripture said, Paul says, we know not how we pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us according to the will of God. Half the time I don't even know what in the world to pray for or how to pray. But when I begin to pray in the Spirit, I don't know what how it happens, but suddenly I'll have a direction. I'll have an idea of what God wants to do and then suddenly I'll begin to know and I'll pray with my my language I'll pray with the spirit in the church he said I'd rather speak a handful of words in my own language than pray, go on and on and on in tongues but I'm talking about your private devotional life there is a prayer language that is available and I believe though some don't agree that it is available to every single human being and why would God do that why would God do that because our pride is in our mind and it's hard to begin to say things that sound to you like gibberish and you say I'm not that but I know what happened to me I was in that tabernacle at Glen Rock Wyoming when I was just in the seventh grade and it was a camp meeting was going on and there was a great oratory preacher named Martin Luther King and he was preaching away same guy Uh, he was reborn later but anyway uh, no that was actually his name Uh, and so Martin Luther King was preaching away and he had this eloquent language and and he went on and on and, and I was sitting there hoping that the service would get over pretty quick because he preached, he believed in long sermons. Uh, he felt like that you're only getting warmed up after 45 minutes and you sort of slow down after an hour and a half. And so you sit there and you know, you're a kid and everything. And suddenly he said, there are, there are people here tonight that need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And suddenly my head snapped up. I hadn't had no idea of anything spiritual at all. I was just thinking about what the guys had planned after the service. We'd captured a little bull snake and we had tied him around the center tent pole of the girls' tent and they, we were waiting to go and see how long they would stay there when they turned the lamp on, the lantern on. But anyway, that's all I was thinking about. And suddenly the power of the Holy Spirit hit my life and there was an old cowboy that didn't have many teeth and he said, you need the Holy Spirit. And of course then he was pretty pretty different than I would like to see it now. But he grabs a hold of me and he's praying me and I'm getting a baptism in water and a baptism in the Spirit at the same time and he's going away and suddenly I began to speak in a heavenly language and the power and the presence of God filled my heart and filled my life and I literally walked outside the tent afterwards and I said, Jesus, I don't think I can grow up as a Christian. Just take me home right now because I knew in that minute that if I died, I would immediately go into the presence of God and the Holy Spirit began dealing with me and I had a suspicion He was calling me to the ministry. I go to the Torrington, Wyoming. I'm working on a on a a quarter horse in the Hereford Ranch out there in the sand hills uh, on the Nebraska border, Wyoming, Nebraska border. And I go into this little church, and uh, this pe- preacher, it's hot and it's stuffy, and he's, he's, uh, anyway, uh, he taught the word, but it's, it's just like, and the Lord said, uh, anyway, it was all right. And God spoke to me. just as he started to pray. And God said to me, I've called you to the ministry to preach my gospel. And I said out loud in a little church with maybe 80 people, 70, 80 people there, I said loud, no! Because at that point, I was tired of the poverty. I was tired of the criticism that preacher's kids get and the pastor's get. 
I was tired of everything. I kind of was cold in my heart and spirit, and I had made a decision. I will not, under any circumstance, preach the gospel. Shows you what a foolish child I was. And God began speaking to me, and finally, when I said yes to the Lord, I knew it was my calling, and I said, Lord, I can't do it. I can't accomplish anything without the power of the Holy Spirit working in my life. And at that same meeting I mentioned to you in Africa on the shores of Lake Victoria, a man came in from a distant village. He didn't speak a word of English, and when he was baptized in the Spirit, he began to praise God in absolutely perfect English, giving praise to God. It's the only time I ever heard it in my life, but I know that. And when I went to Hong Kong, I used to wonder, well, Lord, if I'm speaking in tongues, why does it not make any sense? Have you ever been preached and have your sermon interpreted into Chinese? It sounds like they're all speaking in tongues. And that's what happened to me. I have gone on, and I could go a little further. Mary and I were in Arkansas, in, in Texas, Texarkana, Arkansas, right on the border. And a little church there and having a meeting, and we're getting ready to go overseas on our first mission. We didn't have much support raised. There came an ice storm, and hardly anybody showed up. And suddenly this distinguished older couple came in and sat down. It turns out that on those icy roads they had driven almost 80 miles because God spoke to them to tell us not to delay our mission but to go and God would provide. And the word of knowledge. It was Oliver Fox who was one of the great missionary evangelists that planted churches all over Latin America. By faith, we said, all right. We had enough money for a one-way ticket, a few hundred dollars, and we went. And I've shared this before, and I'll close with this. We went into a town in Brazil, to a wonderful, powerful Pentecostal church. The place was packed. Bernard Johnson, who became one of the great missionary evangelists, was raised in Brazil. He was interpreting. It was a powerful service, and after the service, the pastor said, Evangelist Neely, I heard Neely, and I thought, what's going on? He's going to pray for you that have goiters, and some of them are going to disappear. I said to Bernard, did he say that? I thought, I don't have a goiter ministry. <laughs> Big old things hanging on her neck. We went back there, and over 100 people. And some of the goiters disappeared. It wasn't my faith. I was more shocked than anybody. They came to get us from the little hotel at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and they said, so many people have gathered that if we don't start the service now, they're going to shut us down for the day. So we went. The next day, the city set up a platform and loudspeakers in the town square. And tens of thousands of people packed the square. And revival broke out. It came time for us, about time for us to leave. And we and I were praying because we didn't have the money for, to pay the hotel bill. We didn't know how we were going to get a ticket to get home. Malcolm and Irene Sullivan in San Francisco were praying for us. And the Holy Spirit spoke to them. And said, Lewis and Mary need money. 
They said, we'll give $3,000. And they got three pastors to give $3,000. And suddenly we got this wire. And we waited. And suddenly the money came in. And we had the money not only to go there, but to finish the mission and continue for a year and preach in the gospel. We ended up in, in Rio de Janeiro. And God opened up an opportunity through all of the churches there that gathered behind us. Uh, we couldn't have done, of course, nothing on our own. We were in a soccer stadium that had a seating capacity of about 30,000 plus the playing field, and it was packed out. And we went, and I thought, oh, no, there was a huge rainstorm coming. And the rain began to pour, and we got there, and there was no rain there, but the people were there, and it was all filled up. And suddenly this man began slithering along the ground on his side so fast you couldn't believe it. Demon-possessed man. And a young Brazilian pastor jumped off of the six-foot platform and said, I know who that is. That's the demon. And he cried out his name, and he ran up, and he caught up with that guy, and he said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I cast out the demon. The man was delivered, and revival broke out, and God did an amazing thing, and the service was over, and everybody had left, and there was no rain, and we looked around. It rained all around us. There was about a four-block section that didn't have a drop of rain, and as we were going to the car, the rain began to pour, and I had my Bible open. I still have it, uh, the, the uh, Schofield Bible, and I had it open and looked, and the water began to hit my Bible, and I've kept it to this day. God does great things when you believe there is nothing impossible for the Lord. So whatever your need is, I'm not saying this. This is my past, but I've got the present, and with this I'll close. Two years ago, my life's partner got very, very strangely ill. So we just went down to the uh, Palm Springs area, and then and, and we had a, a timeshare that we used there. And Mary was having a hard time. She woke up one morning and said, Lewis, I can't breathe. I got in the car, and the Eisenhower Redicare clinic was very close, and we got her there. When they saw her, they put her in an ambulance and rushed her over to the hospital. When I got to the hospital, there had been a gang outbreak, in one of the, so the hospital was closed. We couldn't go see her. And she was just hanging on. turns out that the Eisenhower Hospital is one of the preeminent heart hospitals in the world. And God chose to intervene and preserve her life, but she still had problems. I'm sure she's listening, and she's probably ready to slap my face. I don't blame her. She's a private person, but she, she knows God. So they helped her. But her heart was so weak she couldn't have another hip replacement. She's already the bionic woman. She has so many spare parts. She has very little original equipment. Two knees, a hip. Now her heart's getting better, but not strong enough for surgery. She keeps working, keeps serving, like nothing's going on, but I know. And suddenly her heart gets strong. She goes to the cardiologist and he said, your heart is fine. So two and a half months ago, she had a, another hip replacement. Hopefully she'll not try to catch up with Don McClure. And now she moves so fast I can't catch her anymore. I tell you what, it's something amazing what God does. He extended our life. But I just want nothing more than to get out of the unbelief, the lack of faith. Stretching forth your hand to heal that signs and wonders might be done by the name of your holy child, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken. On the day of Pentecost, they'd been defeated.
fainted and Jesus had been crucified and they were hiding out and they were worried and everything. And even, even after they knew about the resurrection, they were still a little nervous to get out and around. And then they were renewed in the Holy Spirit. And what happens? The scripture said, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. And brethren, that's what we have to do. We have to speak the word of God with boldness for the name of Jesus is the only hope that any human being has and the power of God to save, to deliver from the bondage of sin and set us on a path of righteousness and give us a place and a purpose and a ministry to fulfill and receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You say, well, I already had the Holy Spirit. No, they were constantly had one major, major filling on the day of Pentecost cost, and you read your Bible. I was going to go through the whole thing, but I won't. But all through the book of Acts, they were constantly being renewed in the Spirit, refilled in the Spirit, refilled, refilled, renewed, refilled, and walking and living and speaking God and seeing the miraculous power of God work in their lives. And I know you've been through a hard time, so have we. And I know that things are difficult now, but it's not too hard for God. I know there's a liberal government. That don't, your government's like, you're like right-wingers. California is the People Republic of the West Coast. They have a supermajority in the House and the Senate, and they're telling us that there's no gender. We can't even call men men and women women without having passing laws to make it illegal. They're teaching our children in the high schools and in in these grade schools and all through there in the colleges that there's no, you know, that in the beginning God created them male and female. That's what God did. You might think you're something else, but you are what you are, and that's just the way it is that God gets, but now they're using all all of these things to try to shut us up and shut us aside and make us be religious fanatics. If you want to call me a religious fanatic, I believe in Jesus Christ. And if you think I'm a Jesus fanatic, you're absolutely right. I am a Jesus fanatic. I am. I talk about him. I think about him. And I'm probably going to see him pretty soon. Only because of the rapture. Anyway. May God pour out of his spirit upon us. I remember how God worked so powerfully and how he still works so powerfully. God has not changed. The Holy Spirit has not departed. And Jesus still sits at the right hand of the Father praying for us. And it doesn't matter who's against us or what powers try to stop us. When you fight against God, you lose before you start. No power can resist the power of God, but we must be faithful and seek the guidance and direction and renewing of the Holy Spirit. And whether you pray with the tongues and in, in tongues or not, that's between you and God. If you want to go and talk where it says that's not with groanings that cannot be uttered, but it's a time for personal and public prayer and intercession that God will move, that God will pour out a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that he will break the bondage of the minds of men in this country and that people will turn their hearts back to God and God will work miracles in your life and signs and wonders in your life and he will make provision that will astound you because he has not changed and he loves you and he wants to bless you and he wants to meet every need you have and he wants to fill you so full of God that if you want to shut up, you can't. It just pours out. You want to tell people how much Jesus loved them. God bless you guys. I love you. I'm praying for you. Thank you for the time I'm able to spend with you. Thank for Pastor Joe and all of you people. Praise God. I'd like you to stand and I want to pray for you before we close. Grab a hold of the man next to you, his hand or whatever neck or whatever you want. Father, we thank you for your love and power. And I pray, God, that you will just pour out a fresh renewing of the Holy Spirit upon every man here as they go to their homes and their churches. May their families see that the burden has been lifted, that faith has increased, that they're ready to retaste the challenge. They've come and, and had a retreat, and Lord, now they're ready to advance and to defeat the powers of hell and see Satan defeated in the lives of individuals and see the glory of God shining forth in their services and see people come knowing how much you love them and that whatever they face, 
you're more than sufficient to meet every challenge and every need that ever comes into our lives. And we pray, God, for the blessings, for the provision, for all that they need, that you all that you have for them and for us, that we might be conquerors, fighters, warriors, full of courage, full of faith, not having the tuck head, not apologizing, going forth, speaking the truth in love, but speaking the truth that without Jesus you're lost. Without Jesus there's no hope. Without Jesus your life you'd be better had you never been born. Without Jesus you failed in the only thing that really matters ultimately, and that is to come into the fellowship of God through the sacrifice of His Son Jesus Christ and be empowered by the Holy Spirit to live for Him. We ask these things in your mighty name. Amen and amen and amen. God bless you.